This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, my name is Diana Campbell, and I'm pleased to be here with you today during Macular Degeneration Awareness Month. Today, I'm pleased to interview two women whose lives are both affected by macular degeneration. They will talk about how this disease has impacted their lives, as well as offer tips and advice to others. For those of you who are new to our chat series, this chat is brought to you today by Bright Focus Foundation. We fund some of the top scientists in the world who are working to find better treatments and ultimately cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's disease. And we do events like today's chat to get the latest news from science as quickly as possible to families that are impacted by these diseases. You can find much more information on our website, www.brightfocus.org. Now, I'm pleased to introduce today's guests, Maureen and Sheila. Uh, I've gotten to know Maureen and Sheila both very well through a program that we host called AMD Community Circle, which again is a program that Bright Focus hosts on a monthly basis for people living with AMD to connect with one another and share tips and support. Maureen lives in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, and is a retired COO in the pharmaceutical industry. She has a family history of wet AMD and started treatment in 2013. Sheila lives in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and is a retired school psychologist who specialized in working with the deaf community. She has a family history of macular degeneration and was diagnosed with dry AMD in 2013 after cataract surgery revealed the condition. She has now developed wet AMD and is receiving injections. Maureen and Sheila, thank you so much for joining today. Glad to be here, Diana. Happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you both. Uh, Maureen, I'm going to start with you. Um, I know you mentioned, you know, and I know from knowing you well, uh, that you have a family history of AMD before you were diagnosed yourself. Was this something that your family talked about and that you were looking out for? Um, or what was your familiarity with AMD before you got diagnosed? To be honest, Diana, uh, I was totally unfamiliar with macular degeneration, other than the fact that I was aware that aunts and uncles had it. But it's been 20 years um, of hearing of the vision problems with aunts and uncles, and they couldn't see. But it didn't mean anything to me until I was diagnosed in 2013, and it was like, oh, now I get it. Um, I had no idea how they were treated. I had no idea if they had been treated or, or anything. My family, I am first-generation Irish. Um, this is all on the maternal side of the family. It's all my mother's brothers and sisters who were diagnosed with it. And now it's in my generation. I have it. Mine is wet. My sister has dry and wet, and I have a first cousin who is dry. So wow. I am very grateful for the treatments um, because there was nothing for the aunts and uncles. Yeah, you just read my mind. It's only been a couple decades or so, maybe even a little bit less. Um, Correct. Any treatments for AMD. Um, and then, of course, you know, they've been available for wet AMD for a while. 
um, and we can talk about this later, but they're just starting to kind of make some more progress and have some things improved for dry AMD and geographic atrophy. More, I mean, I'm sorry, Sheila. Um, I want to ask you the same question. You also mentioned the family history. What, how much did you know about AMD before you were diagnosed? Had you learned that you might be at risk from your family, or what was your experience? Well, it was really clear to me that my family uh, had AMD. My, my father had um, one wet eye and the other was dry. My mother had two dry eyes and my mother also had glaucoma. Both of my parents were legally blind by the time they passed. Um, Mom was 88 and a half. Dad was 96 and a half when, when that happened. And I was there with them because I was caregiver. Um, at the same time, they were very private about their pain, and they certainly never revealed suffering. My parents were the kind of people who uh, faced whatever came up and got on with life, uh, which was a wonderful heritage for me. I feel blessed to have had that. At the same time, I was pretty ignorant, so that when in uh, 2013, after I uh, my dad passed, and I was able to get cataract surgery. It revealed that I had the dry AMD, and I started the ARIDS protocol. I started going to a retina specialist. I had no symptoms. I just was doing the right thing, and um, 10 years later, all of a sudden, I had the experience of wet macular. Now, I knew my father had been getting injections, um, and again, no, no details. And uh, it was quite a shock to my system. And somehow I had believed, because I was doing the ARID protocol, I guess because I preferred to, <laughs> that it wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to have to deal with that. Um, and I have to. <laughs> you know, that was the, the, the first re response was, I don't want this. <laughs> they did it really well, but I don't want this. <laughs> And yes, that's there. There it is, and I do, I do have lots of of uh, resources when it comes to uh, dealing with anything. And I think, you know, I was again fortunate to have had a family that I was very close to, despite the fact I didn't know what was going on around their health issues. <laughs> right, I think that's something, you know, a certain generation. Um, you know, and how they handle things like that, especially with their children. Yeah. Um, I think it's all yeah. arid and, you know, kind of the sweet spot for taking them is when you have intermediate dry AMD, um, which is sort of before you progress to either wet, you know, or geographic atrophy. So, but they're only proven to slow, you know, progress rather than prevent progress. So, but I can see, you know, for people that don't have anything they can take, you know, that's, that's a huge hope and certainly is recommended by um, the National Eye Institute and others. But I can see how it still would have been a shock when you were doing everything you knew how to do to protect your vision. So Maureen, let's go back to when you were first diagnosed. Um, how, did, how did that conversation happen? Um, what were your feelings, you know, when you first heard you were diagnosed? And then I'll ask you a few follow-up questions. Okay. Um, 
And I was, my position, the job that I had was extremely busy. It was a small company, and we were in clinical trials, and there was just a lot, submissions to the FDA, there was a lot going on. In um, 2011, my husband passed, so I had no time for to take care of me. 2012, the CEO of the company decided to move the company to Georgia, which is where he was living. And in 2013, I decided, okay, it's time for Maureen. And I was aware my vision had declined, but I thought I just needed a new prescription. So I made an appointment with the ophthalmologist. And when I got into the office and she took one look at me or my eyes, she said, you need to see a retinologist immediately. Let me see if he's available. And as luck had it, he was. And I got an injection that day. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, I've been getting injections since 2013. Uh, Needless to say, it wasn't a new prescription I needed. That was when I was diagnosed with AMD. Wow. So obviously you went through, exactly, a period of shock. Um, What were your emotions, you know, after you got that injection? I'm I'm even wondering who took you home that day. You had no idea that you were going to have that. No. You know, what were your initial feelings um, when you learned that you had wet AMD and that you had that immediate injection by a a retina specialist? Um, Needless to say, I was rather surprised. But because it had been, I I was aware that members, aunts and uncles had AMD or macular degeneration. We had no idea what AMD was. Um, because right. of the awareness of it, it was, okay, I've got it, now deal with it. Um, I was aware that there hadn't been anything available for the prior generation, and I was just grateful that at least there was something out there to help me. I was in a better place than my aunts and uncles were. That was definitely for sure. And I started the monthly injections right at that time. Wow. How did your feelings, if at all, change over time? Um, You know, in the beginning, obviously, you were grateful. But as time started to go on and you had adjusted to the fact that you wanted or that you needed to have injections, did you have different emotions at that point? Or or did you just try to stay positive and, and keep going? Well, I try to stay positive and keep going, and I was, I because the company had relocated, I was no longer working. I was an age where it was time to, as I said, kind of take care of myself kind of thing. Um, it wasn't until I realized that even doing everything and with the injections, my vision continued to decline. And it was in 2019, I stopped driving. I voluntarily stopped driving because I was, I was aware that one side, my right side vision had deteriorated to where 
Boston's a walking and bicycling city, and I was aware that as I was driving the car, I was unaware of people on the outside, on the passenger side, if they were on a bicycle or if they were walking, and I went to take a right, I didn't see them. And I said, I can't do that anymore, and that's when I stopped driving. That was the hardest thing for me to do. And that's something I haven't really, even to this day, uh, completely adjusted to because I could just get in the car and go to the grocery store or go to the mall. I can't do that anymore. Right. I know you were also um, declared legally blind. Yes. Um, what did that did that happen in relation to stopping driving and diagnosis? It all happened in 2019. Uh, okay. I was. Uh, I had a decline in the vision. My vision seems to decline, um, not gradually, but I'll have a situation, and all of a sudden, I, my vision is less. I have had hallucinations. I have had very, I get flashing lights, bouncing lights, bouncing balls, very, very active vision. And I was aware when it had, when I took myself off, I had an appointment with a low, low vision specialist. And he was the one, I said to him, am I blind? And he said, you are legally blind. Wow. And I know you said that was difficult to hear. Can you just quickly touch on that? And then I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, That was difficult to hear. Um, That was probably the first time I sat there and and cried because I knew that was kind of um, a, a beginning of a new life and the end of a previous one. I was going to have to learn new ways of doing things and readjusting and um and I'm still doing it. It's I will not pretend that it's easy because it's not. It's learning something new every day or trying to figure out how to do what I used to do and I can't see it anymore. Right. Right. Well, I know you have some tips to share with us, so I'm going to ask um, Sheila the same question, and then we'll kind of get into what you're passionate about, which is sharing, you know, the things that you've learned along the way. So hang on just for a minute. (laughs) Sheila, as you know, (laughs) I'm going to ask you the same thing. What were your initial reactions? What did your diagnosis look like? Um, Obviously, Maureen had a, a tremendously upsetting experience where she just thought she needed a new prescription, and then she got an injection. What was your experience like? Well, I had been coming in for almost 10 years to the retina specialist every year, and he would say how wonderfully I was doing. And then I realized at one point, because I was also looking at an Amsler grid, that the yeah, when I tried to see things through my left eye, that there was a distortion. And I knew something was wrong. But it didn't quite sink in. So that when I went to my retina specialist for my checkup, which I had accelerated because I saw something was wrong, he said, uh, this is wet, mac- you know, wet macular generation and you need an injection and you need it today. And I felt totally psychologically unprepared. Um, yeah. I figured I'd go along forever. Uh, I didn't know. 
Uh, right. You know, I figured I figured the dry would just continue to go really slowly as it had. I'm taking the arrows, but that's that's not how it was. And I was there with Milton, my fiance, and thank goodness. I mean, he was in the room with me, and I <laughs> I said I said I don't know how I can handle this because it's just so shocking to me. And uh, I said, well, you know, I remember. I remember how my dad did it, and not only did he do it for all the years until he passed, but his vision actually improved. He could see color better after he had his injection, so I had known that there was some positive effects. Plus, as scared as I was of the experience, um, I did have support, and I figured, well, you know, got to do it. Just it's it's not about what you have to deal with. It's how you deal with it, and it's a quality of life diagnosis. It's not a life-threatening diagnosis. I gave myself this whole pep talk. Plus, I said I need a few minutes, so I um, I did a a short relaxing meditation because I have a practice and calmed myself enough uh, so that I wasn't totally deregulated by the whole experience and. Uh, Actually, my fear of the of the injection was a lot worse than the experience of it. And right. I certainly, yeah, people, the people around me, uh, the different technicians were kind of startled because I was expressing my fearfulness beforehand. They were not real happy listening to me. Um, and, what a shame. Uh, yeah, yeah, one was really unkind. But, you know, people are whatever state of mind they're in, and that was that. Uh, since then, I've really come to appreciate all of them. They're, they're wonderful support people. I, I feel very fortunate, very blessed. Both have had the, the loving parents I had, uh, even, even with the uh, AMD genes. <laughs> the, D, the DNA that I got from them came with a lot of blessings in terms of uh, the strengths that I have, and, and that's what I needed to deal with this. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm just filled with gratitude for that, and also for the support in my life of uh, community, of, of Milton being there, of having gotten in touch early on with the uh, – the, uh, that there was a Zoom group, a, a support group, and I wasn't going to be going through this alone. I'm sorry I didn't get get in touch with it immediately because um, I was doing so well with my treatment. And I didn't know. I mean, I was I just always felt happy about doing well. And when my um, retina specialist suggested that I um, come not after four weeks, but after six to eight weeks, I thought, oh, my, I've graduated. This is going to get even better. And I was doing so well on the vision test. And it didn't occur to me that there was a risk involved. I guess you don't want to look at things you don't want to look at. <laughs> and he well, certainly he didn't explain it. He did yeah. not explain it, uh, which I, I could appreciate. I mean, he's a great guy. I think he's a great retina specialist. He sees 70 patients a day. And, I mean, this, this leads into my, uh, you know, moving forward with what, needs to happen differently 
in in the community in terms of patient information that I have great concerns about and and patient advocacy is that there be available uh, in some way, and I don't quite know how. I mean, he's really so stressed just to do what he has to do to also uh, completely inform about the uh, how the different treatments can go and and to talk about in detail what risks are involved. I mean, I I I, I just didn't have a clue. So I. I went along with that, and the next thing I knew, I I started being more symptomatic and had more distorted vision in my uh, left eye and went back and had lost vision. Now, the Snellen chart was a whole other story. Instead of seeing even the, the big E, it, it looked like a Picasso painting, and oh I was in goodness. shock. That was... That was um, on on top of having to just deal with this, this was, I don't know, maybe four months into having been diagnosed with the wet macular degeneration. And um, also, I, there was another piece of it. When I had my first injection, I had a very negative reaction and turned out to be to the betadine. I didn't know what it was from. But for 11 days, it felt like I either had sand or ground glass in my eye. At right after the mm. injection, what and a terrible I, you know, I, it was a terrible feeling. I reported that. Plus, as my fiance so unfeelingly reported, my eye looked like a red Christmas bulb. Um, oh my! Yeah, he was just looking. I said he was just. He said he told me he was just looking at the color. I mean, he's an artist, but still, you know. I know. I, I, I don't. I mean, sometimes people can be really. Yeah, uh, unaware. He's, but I, I, for for Valentine's Day, I got him this new T-shirt. It's a number one support person in parentheses in training. He definitely needed training. <laughs> so, so, so we've gotten on board with that one. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, the upshot of that was that I became aware at that point in time, not initially, but but I was reporting then about exactly how I felt. And with each technician, I would ask them to do a super wash to get the betadine out. I spoke to my doctor and I think he was trying to give me less of the betadine. Um, I, I was hearing from another one of the, um, my friends in the chat group that they get exactly one drop. Well, I'm going to try to train him to just do a tiny drop. And then I, I discovered that I was getting two sets of numbing drops one set were just numbing drops and the other set the other was a numbing injection i was getting two injections and i just thought well that's protocol because that's what's happening and then when i again in the in the, in the support group i found out that it doesn't have to be that way and there were different protocols and i asked my doctor about it and he said oh he thought i needed it and i said i don't remember discussing it he's and I know I didn't. So he just decided right. that uh, maybe because of my extreme uh, fear reaction to begin with, you know, that I was best being numbed. But anything that happens, doctors are basically consultants, and I've become clearer on becoming, uh, speaking up. 
My parents were the kind right. of people who just, you know, the doctor says it, that's what you do. It, that's not who I am. And uh, it's helped me here because yeah. things, I, I, this last time I went in, I tried having the numbing drops without the injection to just compare because I, I have very, I'm hypersensitive. That's been who I've been my entire life. So in this situation, I'm trying to have the best experience possible since this is a lifetime program until something comes along that's going to change it. Um, or I leave the planet, whichever comes first. <laughs> in any event, the, uh, right. uh, we tried having the numbing drops without the injection and it actually, I had a more intense experience, but it was much shorter in terms of discomfort afterwards. And it then occurred to me because I had that pattern of having a, a, a super wash after my injections to get all the betadine out of my eyes, that it also washed away the numbing drops. And that because the numbing injection is internal, it lasts longer. So I'm going to experiment and see which I prefer. So within the situation that's pretty uncomfortable, I can choose which level of discomfort or the length of time of discomfort that I prefer. My preferred so, source. Of course. Let me um, just clarify for everybody listening. The betadine is to sanitize your eye, and then there's other drops right. and injections um, that Sheila's mentioned. I know we're going to get a lot of questions about this, so we will make sure to follow up with everybody um, as they come yeah. in. Um, and then I, I guess really before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's really important for people to know these things. I wish I had known and those I was, things, you know, from the get-go. And oh, the other thing is well, that I, I just want to express my gratitude. I don't, I don't know how I could have gotten through the first year after that experience without the support group. I really don't. I mean, uh, you, Diana, and Amanda have been just so wonderful. It's such a loving experience. And Maureen, I've never told you this, but you're you're one of my gold standards. From um, I'm I'm I, I look and I say Maureen does it, Sheila can do it. So uh, I just so appreciate what you share with with such um, openness, and it just it 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 makes the road an easier one for me for you to know that. Thank you so. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll share a little bit more about um, the AMD Community Circle at the end. Um, before I leave you, Sheila, and go back to Maureen, what are two overall pieces of advice? Um, when we spoke recently, you said, you know, that you're learning to advocate um, for yourself to get the best care possible. You had a growing sense of agency and a desire to advocate among retina specialists and others giving injections to be more sensitized to patient uh, <clears throat> is functional issues as well as comprehensive um, conversation with with people getting injections about outlining treatment options and risks. Um, let's if, if you had maybe two points um, on those topics that you would share as a piece of advice for everybody listening today. What would you say? Well, I I would say keep speaking 
first of all, be aware of how your body is reacting in detail so you can share that with your healthcare people because they, they can't experience what you experience. And, and I, I remember one of our chat people spoke and said, every patient is a different patient. And that is true. So not to be shy about sharing what's true about your experience and ask questions, keep asking questions. One thing, um, I'm, I'm a poet, one of the things I do. I wrote a poem about my experience of, um, it's called, what the heck is it? I never remember the names of my poems. Vision strengthens as sight decreases. And I shared it with my retina specialist who shared it with his wife. And I had been trying to get them to, he and uh, another blog to extend it to other professionals to just get them to, to see it from our point of view. The other thing is, um, for me, developing a sense of humor. I've got to live with this thing. And uh, this, this one, uh, all of us, and it's a reminder that all of us, as many people as there are in a room, have different perceptions. So one of my eyes perceives things one way, the right eye that's considered the, the undamaged eye. And then there's another eye, which is the eye that's the damaged eye, and it perceives its way. And I just sometimes play with the two of them and say, well, what do you see and what do you see and what do we see together? Because I have to also live with uh, my cataract surgery had prepared my left eye to be the top dominant eye for near vision, which is for reading, which is my favorite activity. Um, but my brain gets very confused each time I start to read because that's the eye that's supposed to read and it can't do it can't do what it's supposed to do. I can't figure out words okay. anymore. I can see landscapes, but I can't figure out words. So it's about uh, having a sense of humor. I think you know once that goes, the rest of me can go too. <laughs> uh, well, I, and and, and reframing, a... reframing, reframing, and also be, you know, I feel so fortunate in so many ways that this is unfortunate. This is this is not life threatening. It does greatly impair the quality of my life. I've had to learn new skills, but I'm a lifetime learner. I get joy out of learning. So it's to see both sides. What what am I having to deal? I've met these wonderful people. What do I have to deal with? And what is happening in my life that's a positive consequence? Both of those, holding both of those, learning to hold them. Um, initially, I was in shock. It was grief. It was a loss. At this point, I feel um, it's a journey. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to reflect on the journey because generally, you know, you're just in your journey. You just do it. This was an opportunity to reflect on it, to share it. And I, I just, I hope that there may be benefit what's happened to me and other people will profit. I know just from our own experience with um, AMD community circles that that is the case. We all learn from each other. And Sheila, if there's one thing I can say, I'm always impressed by your ability to find the silver lining and to be um, curious about the things that are going on um, and not just frustrated by them. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me to everybody. Um, we will uh, we'll offer at the end to share the poem that Sheila wrote with you. We're more than happy to send that along. And Sheila, I think I already told you this, but I have shared this 
um, with a group of retina specialists, and I'm happy to continue partnering with you to figure out how to get the word out there in a more broad way. Um, Thank so you. thanks for sharing all of that. Thank you. Of course. So Maureen, um, I know your, your kind of passionate response when we talked about having this chat was um, wanting to share the advice on getting educated and getting support, um, but specifically over time, you know, that whole journey about the things you found helpful at first, you know, versus, you know, you've had this for 10 years now or close to 10 years. Um, what are some of the wonderful tips that you can share about what you've learned, but also how you've learned them and how to find resources? and all of those things. Um, I know you have so many recommendations, so I'd love to hear some at this point. Okay, um, thanks, Diana, and thank you, Sheila, because some of the, the uh, feelings that you expressed are the same for me. I'm grateful for what I have. Um, it's not terminal, um, and it is a fight, but we can get through it. Um, the things that I've learned, when I first was diagnosed as being legally blind, I had no idea where to turn. Um, the Registry of Motor Vehicles was very quick to notify me that I could no longer drive. Uh, but then after that, it was kind of hunting and scratching and talking to anybody who would listen to find out where I could go, what kind of help was there, and um, also as far as devices, technology, what was available. And luckily, Massachusetts is very proactive. There is, within the state, a mass commission for the blind, and they reached out and after an evaluation, um, I was able to re, uh, receive a handicap sticker so that when somebody takes me driving, I have a legal parking space. But also within that association, they have devices. They will provide um, Alexa dot devices. They will give um, talking um, thermometers, talking scales, um, bump dots to put on your stove or your uh, microwave. Um, they'll come into the house and help um, help as far as whether or not you should get rid of the rugs on the floor or if something might cause you problems to fall. And um, also, as I said, technology. Um, they will also help with apps and training. We, are, we have Mass Association for the Blind, for which Jerry Feliz spoke last month. And there are a lot of apps on cell phones, and on iPhones, and Androids that are available for people. For instance, my big thing in the beginning was the fact that when I was working with American paper money, I was constantly confusing a 1 and a 10 or a 5 and a 50. Um, I couldn't differentiate between the dollar bills, and I know that there's a way of folding them such that each one is different, 
But that drove me crazy. And it turns out a very simple thing I learned was the fact if you reverse the dollar, any of the bills, if you turn them over to the back side, the right corner has the number in a one-inch or almost two-inch size so that I don't mess up my five and my 50 on my one and my tens anymore. And I, I, I file everything in my wallet kind of upside down. And I'm no longer making those mistakes. I've even taught the tellers at the bank. And now when they, if I get cash, they count the money out backwards for me so that I can, with what vision I have, I can see the larger numbers on the back of the bills. Um, what a great I am. How? Go ahead, I was, I'm sorry. I was just wondering, even to fold them, if you're seeing the wrong number in the first place, you could fold them wrong, and you know, and lose your money. Exactly. Keep talking, Maureen. I'm on that. So interesting. Um, as far as um, apps, there are built-in apps on the iPhones. One is called Voice Control. The other one is VoiceOver, which is one that I'm. Uh, learning more and need help with it because there's a lot of tapping and swiping, but I no longer can, I find reading very, very difficult. So what I'm doing is that if I get an email, and for instance, the emails from you and Amanda, I turn on voiceover and have it read it to me. There's also another one just simply tell um, Siri, speak screen, and it'll read whatever is on the screen. I find it so much of a strain to try to read that I no longer do that anymore. I'll use any one of those three apps to help me with reading. As far as reading a book, I have Libby, which is through the local library, and you can have uh, download books and have the author of the book or another reader read the book to you. And there's also Bard, which is Braille and reading device. I'm not sure on that. But that's from the National, um, uh, National Books. So any book that's been in print, you can get um, access to BARD and have the books or science documents, anything that's been printed, um, read to you. Um, again, I pretty much rely, I have an iPad. I rely on my iPad for, um, especially for reading, because that's what I really miss most. Right. So regarding BARD, um, I think you probably said the right acronym, but it's B-A-R-D. Is that the right? That's, that's correct. And I'm thinking you said National Books. I think it's, is that with the Library of Congress? Yes, exactly. Okay, perfect. So we'll include a link. Um, we actually had them speak on a chat many years ago about their book clubs and different resources, but we'll include a link to um, people with impaired vision or vision loss you know, to find those resources in the Library of Congress. And I know Jerry, you know, as you mentioned, he spoke last month, and he was willing to consult with people individually. 
um, you know, caveat is I'm not sure if he's charging or not, but, you know, if people want to be trained how to use some of these things, it might be worth it. Um, Maureen, I can't imagine how much that's changed over the years. You've had it for 10 years. And, you know, I mean, yes, we had smartphones and iPads 10 years ago, but the availability of, of resources and things that help you must have changed so significantly over that amount of time. It's been considerable, Diana. And um, without them, I think it could be pretty depressing. But I like technology. For me, it's like having a new toy. So um, I'm just trying to learn everything that I possibly can. But I will tell you that there are days that I just wish it would all go away and I didn't have to deal with it anymore. But unfortunately, that's not the case. You have to keep plugging through and you have to keep trying. Before we finish um, on this topic, I would love to have you, you and I were speaking, you know, just right before the call about the process to find these resources. What words of encouragement, you know, or parts of your journey can you share for others? You know, and Massachusetts has a wonderful setup. Every state's different. But I know it wasn't, it didn't all just fall into your lap to know of all these things. So what was your experience with trying to find these resources and, um, and, you know, and gain access to them? Well, it's, it's, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's just that I would call, I called senior centers to begin with um, to find out what they could provide, what kind of help I might be able to get. Um, I would ask um, the moderators at the senior centers if they had referrals, Anyone that I reached out to, if they weren't able to provide me information, I would ask them if they had someplace else that they might suggest that I contact or um, reach out. Um, it was a question for me to just keep, just keep asking and keep trying because it's not easy. And it's not easy when you're alone. I think it makes it a little bit more difficult because I don't I don't have someone here at the house that can um provide the phone numbers or do the research. So I just kept just kept plugging away. And luckily, as I said, Massachusetts has resources. I just wish that there was some kind of a flyer that could be left and the retinologist office or the low vision center um, where these devices are available, that if somebody came in that you can be handed a piece of paper or an app or a contact or phone number um, that you can reach out to for assistance because there really is no one central clearinghouse for any of these agencies. And as you said, every state is different. You're absolutely right on that. And even, you know, for us as a national organization, it's very difficult um, to know the ins and outs of each state and the resources that you all find. Um, I think, you know, obviously you've kind of shown with the results you were talking about at the beginning and the tips you shared, it's very, very clear that your persistence has paid off, you know, and that if there's a message to share with others, you know, it's that, that 
you know, to try not to get discouraged and, you know, don't to persist. Up. Just don't give yeah. up. Exactly. <laughs> especially for you. People find their, you know, themselves in the same shoes that you do, which is, you know, you live alone and you're, you know, in a sense, your own caregiver, you know, at some point. And, you know, that's comfortable for some people and not as comfortable for others. It's easy to fall into depression that sort of thing, but there are many resources out there. We share as many of them as we possibly can, um, but I think it's just such a great message you shared. So we're actually running out of time. Um, I am thanking you both for everything you shared today. Really quickly, I did want to mention that late last week, there was a drug approved for geographic atrophy or advanced dry AMD, period, <laughs> we sent an email about that yesterday. Um, and if you have any questions at all, please feel free to leave a message or contact Amanda or me. So to close out today, Maureen and Sheila, this discussion has given us an inside look at your lives with AMD. Before we conclude, are there any final remarks you'd like to share with the audience? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, one of my, one of my uh, spiritual mantras, show up, give your all, and then be present as fully as you can, and then let go. <laughs> I've had to let go of a lot. <laughs> it I works. Maureen. <laughs> I, I agree with the let go. Sheila, um, there's a lot that we just can't do anymore, and unless you can, my attitude is sort of, if a door closes, there's always another door, or there's a window, and I keep trying uh, to find another way to do what I, what I used to do before, and I have difficulty doing now. But I agree with you. Sometimes it, they're just not that important, and you have to let it go. I want to Bye. thank both of you for having the courage today to share your stories. We didn't get a lot into depression and being overwhelmed, but I know that's a very common feeling for all of you who have been diagnosed. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing with us today. I didn't mention this before. This is going to be very abrupt. I'm going to say this last word, and then we're all going to cut off, and I will connect with the both of you later. This concludes the Bright Focus chat. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.